Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. On today's show, we have a guest that I don't think could be more a more complete guest for this podcast. He literally checks off every box of what I love talking about what the show is all about, Tampa history, music, hardcore specifically, martial arts. I pulled your fucking video today and you're in the middle of skate park of Tampa with people skating around you. I was like, Jesus Christ, how do I not know this guy? And not to mention, you grew up with my man crush, Chris Bryant and Claire uh, Mel. I mean, you're, you're like the embodiment of Barely Legal Podcast. So thank you so much for coming in. Joe Kaiser. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. And you know, we'll save some of the conversation we were having earlier. And then we've even got for deeper connections. We have so much stuff. That. This might have to be like a five-parter. Yeah. You're going to have to come back or something. <laughs> hey, no, I wouldn't mind that at all. Yeah. So, yeah, Chris Bryant, man. I actually listened to that podcast. Uh, excellent. You know, I, I knew Chris since he was a little kid. And um, he used to come over to my house and play wiffle. We would play baseball like uh, all day, man. And uh didn't surprise me when, the you know, he went on to pitch pro and all that. So, uh, he's he is such an amazing dude. He is all heart. He is I don't know how much you've gotten to be around him where he's at now in his life, but he's, you know, with the Timothy Initiative and Salvation Army and a lot of the stuff he's doing through his church and you know, watching him with his son Nikki who although I didn't know Chris at that age, Nikki reminds me a lot of what Chris must have been like at that age. Just full of energy never sits down just go 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 yeah uh yeah you know it's so funny too because and probably much like many of the kids that came out of claramel uh we had such a similar background i too uh, was raised by my grandparents yeah and chris literally lived on the next block from me uh you know my my mother was never in my life my father was in and out of my life so it was it's you know, so many, so many similarities to us. I feel like there's a book to be written about Claire Mel. There's something <laughs> going on in Claire Mel, and I've tried to identify it, and I've kind of references with you. I've had Dave Decker on the show a bunch. Yep. Uh, I constantly beg Rob to come on the show. I and I, and now I also know, and you'll correct me on this, as does everybody. What is actually Claire Mel and what is not Claire Mel? I, I kind of use it in a broader sense than what it. Yeah, you know, man, it, we, we'll, we'll even get into the like the line. Wars, There's like, gang lines. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, you're Palm River, not Claramel, sure. you know, but so, but really Palm River, Claramel is like the same neighborhood. As a matter of fact, I think when you drive through there now, the signs say Palm River, Claramel. Right. So, yeah. But there's this group of guys, 45 to 55, and probably even greater and younger than that, but just because that's who I tend to right. intersect with, that come from there. And this is a bad example, but I always think of Hunter Thompson. They're kind of this... <laughs> outlaw, a little bit crazy, tons of fun, very interesting, may have had a dark part of their life that they kind of are, you know, on the other side of now. And, uh, and then it's just Claire Mel is the, the, the thread that runs through all the, you know, they say a river runs through, Claire yeah. Mel runs through it. Yeah. The Palm River runs through Claire Mel. No, yeah. You, you've nailed it, man. Uh, I, I'd hate to say like, I feel like I'm like one of the more normal kids yeah, that yeah. Came out of Claire, and I'm not normal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're the normal I'm one, the that's, normal that's, one, so that's the bar, you know, pretty low. Uh, 
Yeah, there's so many interesting characters that came out of there, you know. And now, someone was explaining to me, and I forget who it was, but that I evidently it was where it was kind of an enclave for people at MacDill Air Force Base. It was like a military town or yeah, a military I, neighborhood. That's where everybody was moving to. Yeah, I th- so I think that was the original intent of that neighborhood was the cheaper housing for the, the military families from the base. Because I do remember as a little kid, a lot of... Uh, houses even on my street were like be rented and then gone and then it was like oh we have a lot of turnover a lot of turnover because it was military getting reassigned and 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 even if you're not moving around then that's constantly a a revolving cast of characters that you're interacting with as a kid which could be good maybe maybe not so good you know military kids kind of have a they're like preacher's kids (laughs) they they can uh get into some shit and expose you to some shit. So. Yeah. I, and, you know, the thing is, there was a core of us, man. And th- the funny thing is, is uh, for the most part, I'm still in touch with all of those people. There seems day. to be a, a bond there. There is, man. We, I, I think it's that, you know, that. You kind of went through something. Like you were a nom together almost, man, you know. The upbringing, the upbringing was pretty, you know, to so I, I think even Chris said this when he was on it. When you get outside of Claremont and start interacting with people outside, you didn't realize that, oh, shit. It's not we're that not way normal. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And what really did it for me was because, you know, all the way up until like um, I would say up to seventh grade, you you went to school with the same people. So everybody from your neighborhood, you know, uh, and then in, in Hillsborough County, for some reason, they would ship you away for sixth and seventh grade were standalone. Right. And so seventh grade is where I really uh, – I, it's funny because that's where I met a lot of the kids from Brandon, like Brian Schaefer, yeah, uh, Kevin Koss, yeah, uh, you know, from Down by Well, Pink Lincolns. Um, I met all those guys there because they shipped Brandon kids and Claramel kids. Basically, uh, if you know where Booker T. Washington sure. is, it's yeah. right around the corner from me, right in the middle of the project. Right. So they shipped us there. And that's when I realized that, oh, wow. These kids have it way better than we do. Yeah. And they don't, they didn't really like us too much. Uh, we didn't like them too much. But I, I, the funny thing is, the thing that really brought us together with those kids was music. So that's, that's, a, that's a great kind of transition point. So I, I'm always interested in talking to musicians about how music entered their life. And it was it something, uh, do you know Gabe Echizabel? He writes for Creative Loafing. He does a lot of the music. Yeah, I have read his stuff, yes. So I, you know, I have found in my life, in my friends' life who are into music, people that I run into, that oftentimes music becomes this safe haven for them from some other sort of trauma, from some other sort of thing that's going on in their life. Sometimes it's domestic violence in their house. Sometimes it's parents who are on substances. Maybe it's Whatever the case may be. Being bullied. Well, yeah. So you can turn off. You can throw your yep. headphones on, go in your room, close the door. And as you get on later, you can meet up with your friends in the garage and start banging on drums and playing guitars. Exactly. And it's kind of this refuge from the outside world. And so not exactly what you're saying, but as you're kind of having this culture shock going to Booker T, the music is kind of a something that bonds you and, and your friends. Definitely. I think for me, it, it was it was in my DNA. I don't think I had much of a choice. Uh, my father was a professional musician. Was he really? Yeah. And Guitarist or singer or what? Both. Okay. He, he played guitar and sang. What type of music? Southern rock or older than that? Well, um, you know, he, I'll You're tell you- You're 50, so I'm trying to place him yeah, in the- Yeah. So, my dad was kind of like a hippie. So, he was into stuff like Zeppelin. Sure. And, so, so, and he's who introduced me to Black Sabbath, which that's- Thank, thank you, dad. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean the life-changing those moment. Those first four are where it's at. I remember my dad had his own place. He lived he lived in like a trailer in uh, the Mango area. What did he do for a living? 
Well, was he a musician for a living or? Well, he did, but okay. I don't think it was enough to pay the bills. Sure. So he he kind of bounced around from job to job. He did drywall. Okay. And uh, he did like sprinkler installation. Okay. Like, uh, stuff like that. You know, just odd jobs. But uh, I would stay with him on the weekend sometime. And man, I still recall, you know, he knew that I was getting into music and I would go stay with him. And he he's like, listen to this. And it was the first Black Sabbath album. Oh, so, wow. you know, you're putting the headphones on. And my dad being the hippie, it was the dark room with oh, yeah. black lights. And I just remember that first track, Black Sabbath, hearing the, you know, the thunder and the bell. And then when those rips, and then the lyrics were satanic. And, and so, it's all. funny. This is the story that Chris Bryant tells me. He said that you're the the person who played records back. I think he said you played Purple Rain backwards for him or yeah, something. Yeah, I'm like. sure I did, man. <laughs> he I, said you introduced him to metal. So, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I, anybody that I could, you know, and uh, – yeah, so I got into the metal at a really young age. I, I was probably seven, eight years old when I heard that first Sabbath album. Wow. And then from there, you know, it was any time I went to the uh, the mall with my, my grandparents, you know, because uh, I was kind of an only kid. When were you born? Like 69, 70, something like 71. that? 71. Okay. I was born in 71. And so East Lake Mall, the old East Lake, oh, shout out sure, to East yeah. Lake Net yeah. Park. Uh, <laughs> you know, we would go to the mall there and I would always just go to the record section and then, you know, after I bought up all the Sabbath albums that were available at the time, then uh, some some of the kids in the neighborhood, you ever heard of ACDC? So I started buying that and then Kiss and I started buying that, you know, so and it just progressed from there. And then as, you know, as I got older, like into the teen years, you know, you start finding about these underground bands. Sure. You know, I, you, you know, you bought the Hit Parader magazine that had all the, the Well, the European, the English bands too. Yeah, know. the new wave. of British yeah. And then you, then you was like. And there you would see these other magazines like from overseas. And then you like start trying, oh, where can I get this? And then and the you, Diamond Head and Pentagram. And yeah, the, uh, you, you know. get, get like the uh, the mail order. And then you then you find out people uh, tape trade. Yeah. And that's how I discovered so many bands like uh, bands like Hellhammer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just all these old school like pre-thrash, pre-black metal Black bands, metal, like yeah. Bathory the Norwegian. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And all that stuff. And uh and the, and getting back to so like like I said I think that common bond when when you know I met all the kids from Brandon that you know like I'm still friends with most of those guys to this day as well uh you know there was that we didn't really like each other but then you know like the night after the Ozzy Osbourne concert you come to next day wearing your Ozzy shirt and they got their Ozzy shirt and it's like oh you can you, identify you, you were at the show yeah, and then, yeah. and and that's how I connected with a lot of those guys. It's so true. And it's and another thing that's so great about it. And I have this conversation a lot with people um, is some of the most beautiful, sensitive, heartfelt people that I know listen to the most gnarliest, yeah. evil, you know, metal, whatever, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you get these black metal and I mean, they're literally burning churches and yeah. these other, you know, cannibal corpse and all, all these other things, you know. Uh, I've I've struck up a relationship in the past year or two with Trey Asgathoth from Morbid oh, Angel, yeah, yeah. and uh, I used to go see them all the time. As and a he's like a nerd. I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but he's like a, a nerd, like a yeah. D&D nerd. Like he's you know he he always he, just not at all what you'd expect for well what the I've come to expect this from from it. But you know the funny thing is is you know being in bands and getting to travel around the world a little bit. And then when people find out you're from Tampa and then they mention something like, have you ever seen Morbid Angel? Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, man, I get to see those guys all the time. I, I They practice next to us and they're like blown away. Like, what are they like? Are they like really as evil? And I'm like, no, nah, man, they're just regular dudes just making extreme music. <laughs> right, right, you know? right. Um, 
No, I've I've always, you know, I've that, my dream at some point is to get the more sound guys in here, get someone in to kind of go through all that whole thing with them. You should you should um, reach out to Scott Burns. Uh, I I will reach I, out to anybody. I'll you, see if I can make yeah, that, that connection. Would, that would for be you. wonderful because I, you know, I got really into Death, the oh, band yeah. Death, and that documentary came out a few years ago. It was great. Um, obviously obituary deicide, morbid angel, you know, you got shout out to Terry Butler. Yeah. And then it's funny because my wife from Brandon, she's like, do you know this band nasty savage, which not, not in that, you know, world per se, but they are as much a part of Tampa music history as anybody. Oh, absolutely. They were, let me, I may be, it's either them or Sabotage were Sabotage, yeah. the first local metal band that I went and saw. I want to say it was Nasty Savage. There there was a, a club that had a short run in Brandon called right. Side Streets. Oh, yeah. My wife's told me about it. So Executioner, who is yeah. obituary, played there. Morbid Angel played there. Massacre. Yeah. Which went on to be have members in death. And uh, I saw Nasty Savage there twice. Right. I played uh, like a two nights in a row. And, man, I was just blown. Because I'd already – I had the demo and then I had, the first album was out. And I was just blown. Sold, yeah. sold. Yeah. So uh, aside from dad introducing you to Black Sabbath, did he did he show you how to strum a power chord? Did he show you, know, you how to- You know, it's funny. It's like he showed me how to play a D chord. And I- That's all you needed. That's, that was it. Right. I, I, I did the rest from there. And- um, what, what was his guitar that he had laying around? You know, um, he mostly had acoustic guitars later on. But uh, I do remember there was a point in time he played a Gibson Les Paul. Yeah. He had a nice. So I saw the video. You have a gold top, or at least in that video, yeah, you have a yep. gold top. That's pretty sick. Yeah, I got a few Les Pauls. Uh, I'm a Gibson guy. Yeah, I have a few Les Pauls and SGs. So, what was your first guitar? My first guitar, I think, was this like Flying V knockoff. Oh, nice. That, yeah. Was it the one where the top the top points longer than the smaller point? Yeah, yeah. It was like was it a, a true like '70s V or like that weird '80s V that everybody started. It, it was kind of like the 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 70s v it was just uh it was like a, a small scale yeah yeah and then uh that was like the first guitar that my parents that's bought great me. and then the first guitar I bought myself was a gold top Gibson custom light so oh wow it's like uh they only made 200 of them they made 200 of those and 200 of the sg but it was a, a Les Paul that had EMG pickups in it. I'm sorry, I'm getting musical nerdy here. No, I love it. Please get musical nerdy. I'll but, talk um, that all day. The body, if if you've ever picked up a Les Paul, it's they're heavy. Yeah, they're. But these were as thin as an SG. Okay, so it was really light. Uh, had EMG pickups, but and it was a custom. But I still have that guitar to this. Sounds thing. like a badass guitar. It is, and uh, I, it's been like sitting stripped. Of parts and it just got painted recently and I, I'm, I'm gonna put it back gonna together. I got some up. special plans for it. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, so you pick up, you get the decor going from there. Uh, when when do you get your first band together? So oddly enough, so yeah, I start playing guitar um, and then I meet this guy Dave Peralta who is from Palm River. Palm He'd River. be upset if I said Claremel. So. We're gonna start a gang war. Yeah, I, <laughs> for him. Yeah, I don't need him. Shots fired. Me. Shots yeah. fired. Yeah. So and. You know, we met each other probably 13 years old, 13, 14. And, and he is the second guitarist in Slap Rowdy that, to, you know, he's been in the band 20 plus years. He wasn't the original guy, but he's been in the band longer than the original guy. So, um, so who are the original members of? So me, Rob and Frank Lacatino are original. Okay. Um, our original bass player, Chuck was from Claremel, rest in peace. Oh no. And, uh, our, Second guitar. So we originally were a four piece. Okay. Our demo was 
the four of us. And then we added uh, Rick Hess, who is actually Rob Sexton's cousin on okay. second guitar. And he played with us for a few years. And then um, once we got back together, Dave Peralta joined the band and he's been in the band ever since. So, I mean, it's really a core of four of the same guys. So those were the first, those were the guys you started with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, that's pretty impressive because yeah, how many years ago was that? So we started the band in late 87. Uh, and I think we played our first show in 88. So, um, you know. Yeah, it must have been in early. And the type of music you were playing, it's funny because you, you know, listening to it now, I was like, okay, well, this sounds like this, that, and the other. But when you look at the timeline, you were guys were doing it before these bands that. Yeah, you know, we always said we, we, we always just started stuff a little too early. We should have just held out. A well, I mean, longer. you know, I, I, I know, uh, not to not to be hack, but you, obviously there's a Green Day, there's a Blink One Eight Two, Dagnat, you know some of these types of bands. But the time that you're starting was they weren't around yet, you know. So yeah, especially the, a funny Green Day story. Um, so when we were booking our first tour, this was 1990. You know, back then booking tours was calling people sure. on the phone. There was no internet, right? And so you kind of had to like hit people up for contacts and, oh yeah, this guy books in this town. And then he knows a guy books in, and you piece it all together to put a tour together. So we were having a little bit of issues booking in California, oddly enough. And uh, we, the guy, the drummer, the original drummer for Green Day reached out to us. We didn't know who they were at the time. They were nobodies. Right. And they were asking if they could, Hey, can we play with you? Play you guys? Yeah. And we're like, uh, sure. Yeah. But it never ended up happening. I don't think we made it out there on our first tour. So, um, uh, it was just weird that, right. you know, that, that, yeah, that we, you know, we could have played a show with Green Day opening for us. And even like uh, on our first tour, we, we, we played a show with Fugazi oh, and, God. in Kalamazoo, Michigan and Jawbox <laughs> opened oh, for God. us. Oh, God. What a dream. Because, you know, they, they had- How was that? They, had a, they only had a seven inch out at the time and we had two seven inches out, I guess, was the thinking. So they played before us and we played them Fugazi. Uh, it was an amazing show. Did yeah. you get to talk with those guys at all or? Yeah. Um, were they pretentious or were they cool? Well, it depends on which guys. Yeah, yeah. So if you're talking Joe Lally and uh, 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 the, drum, the drummer, Brendan, yeah. Brendan they, those guys were really cool. Yeah, Ian and uh, and Greg or uh, Guy. They yeah, were a little, yeah, they a little, were a little more. standoffish. But, sure. you know, it's probably at that point, they're the, already the old men of the scene. They're probably tired of the minor threat questions. Right, right, right. Spring and they just – we ended up – it was kind of funny. We – um. So we were there the night before. We ended up staying at the promoter kid's house. And uh, where was this concert? Kalamazoo, Michigan. Oh, wow. Uh, there was a p- club there called Club Soda. Have you ever heard Dave Decker's Joe Lally story? No, no, no. So he saw them in Gainesville. And oh, at yeah. some point, he gets his face just. I was at the show. You were there? Oh, yeah, yeah. You can see it on the video. That There's a video of it. He gets his face split open and Lally gives him his shirt. Yep. And Dave is sopping up blood from his face with his shirt. And he said at the end of the night, they're all walking out. And and I'm sure I'm fucking the story up. But like literally as he's walking out, he gets a tap on his shoulder and he turns around and it's Joe. And he's like, do you mind if I – can I take my shirt back? That's the only shirt I have. Yeah. So- yeah. That show is memorable on so many levels. Uh, it's the hottest show. Fucking Gainesville, I, it, man. Well, it was in a VFW hall with no AC. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it was in the summer. and. We mentioned that show to Fugazi when we played with them. Like, hey, we saw you in Gainesville, and their faces. I mean, it's like that's the hottest show we've ever played. Literally, after you walked out of that show, the it was wood floors, right? The FW Hall. It looked like somebody had hosed the floor down yeah. from sweat. Yeah, um, but yeah. There's 
that video is pretty readily available out there. Well, he sent it to me before he's on the show. He's oh, like, okay. I'm going to tell you a story, but here, watch this. Yeah. Watch this because, you the, you know, the proof is there. But, uh, yeah, well, it's, it's interesting, and I I apologize. I kind of go off on tangents. But no, I love it. The the Gainesville punk, the, the part that Gainesville's played in, in music is pretty interesting to me because yeah. it's such a backwoods, especially then, you know, a bunch of – Hicks, I mean, sorry yeah. to say, and but I guess because the college, it's because college, it's a college you know, it's town, it brought minds. people through. But you know, with against me, and then there's all these other things that have kind of, kind of. Then as you get closer to now, you got the fest and all the you know the right. bands that are drawn up there. But it's interesting to me the history that that Gainesville has in punk and hardcore. You know, music. it's funny. Like um, if people ask me your favorite all time Florida releases, like from a Florida band, number one. Uh, I think hands down is BP, Belgian Penguin. They uh, – shout out to Zach. You're going to help me write this book I'm working on, by the way, but go ahead. Uh, I will help okay. you indeed. <laughs> um, uh, B, that BP album that No Clubs put out. Yeah. Antonio and them. Uh, probably the best Florida hardcore album ever. But a close second is the first No Idea release. Okay. So a lot of people um, – I mean, maybe people do know this, but the very first No Idea record came in the No Idea fanzine. And it was a seven inch. The only way you could get it. it, it didn't have a cover. Right. It was this band from Gainesville called the Doldrums. Okay. That, that record rips. As really? a matter of fact, I have the tracks. I'll send them to you. Please do. I so, would love to. So maybe, maybe I, I don't know if I'm at liberty to say this now, but I will. So um, we're 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 going to be on this comp record. Uh, well, it's not a comp. It's a split with us and the Ship Thieves, which oh, is wow. Chris Wallard from the Hot Water Music's band. Um, we're going to put one new original song and a classic florida cover we're doing a doldrums cover right? oh wow yeah that's badass and, yeah it's such a great song uh, so I, I had this idea recently and i'm not the person to do it but i'm always kind of like with everything it's like i'm not the person to do it but until someone else does it i'm gonna go do it yeah so i had this idea for doing a book called the hardcore corridor 30 years of florida north central and south florida hardcore and I posted something about it and, and Ray Rowe said, you should probably talk to Keith Ulrey about it. And so I talked to Keith and Keith's always the one talking me out of stuff. He's like, here's why you don't want to get into making vinyl. Here's uh, why you don't, you know, he's one of the old men of the, you know, that's yeah. good. But, but it's, I, so I love hearing about these bands that, you know, I wouldn't otherwise have access to. I got some funny stories about how I met Keith Ulrey. I want to hear right. Keith Ulrey stories. He, he texted me today that I'm getting closer to having him on. Oh, so I mean, his, he's got a legit reason with COVID. Yeah, yeah. Everything, I so I don't I don't begrudge him for that. But anyway, I don't want to get off the topic. So um, Gainesville, uh, starting with those four guys. So tell me about meeting those guys, starting up the band. What were the discuss? I mean, at that time, was there discussions about who you wanted to sound like, or you, did you, you guys just kind of figure it out in band practice? Or? So Slap of Reality actually. So I had played with Rob and his cousin before Slap Reality. Okay. Uh, How'd you meet Rob? Uh, first day of. 10th grade at high school. So we went to King High School, right? Um, was he back then the way he is now? Yeah, Rob Rob hasn't. Just grunting and grimacing. Yeah, and <laughs> but, you know, he had the dyed Dean jean jacket with Metallica patch on the back. There you go. So there's my guy. There and, you, you know, we came from Claremel, right? So we caught the bus together. Uh, it was easy to pick us out because we were literally the only two white kids on the bus. And, right. you know, wearing the heavy metal stuff. And we were instantly. You're like, pot committed. You don't. Boom, yeah. yeah. Hey, there's my guy. Yeah. And, you know, so we, we were in it to win it. So, um, 
that's how I met Rob Sexton. And then, you know, we, we started talking and he's like, ah, I play drums. I'm like, yeah, I play guitar. And my cousin plays guitar and we know a bass player and Chuck, our, our original bass player, he went to King high school as well. So we, we were getting together and we were playing like Celtic frost covers. And so I was going to ask, who are you listening to at that time? Oh, yeah. Who is it that's influencing you? Like, who is it that Bands you're- like Celtic frost creator slayer. Yeah. Uh, definitely slayer merciful fate. A lot of the, that early like thrash and right. black metal stuff. And, uh, so we were playing those songs and writing our own stuff that was in that vein. And then um, it was a weird, weird time because not to go into a tangent about the way the school districts change, unless you were a junior or a senior, Claramel changed to Brandon High. Okay. So I only went there for 10th grade. Rob was a grade ahead of me. So he was a junior. So he kept going to King. I, I shift off to Brandon High. Okay. And that's where I kind of reunite with all my kids that I met in seventh grade, like Kevin Koss and all these guys right. and, uh, and Mark Michelle, Brian Schaefer. And so it was like a lot of familiar faces. Right. And then um, that's how I kind of came into contact with Frank, Frank Lacatina. And also, I met, so I was hanging out with this guy, Brian Westberg from Brandon, and we did a lot of skateboarding. We got the punk shows uh, and that's how, and he, he was friends with Frank and that's how I kind of connected with Frank. And then- just one thing led to another. Oh, you play guitar? Yeah, I, I sang in this band. And then we, we we started playing together with some guys. And we were just playing like fast, hardcore stuff. Well, this is and this is the, this is what I talk about constantly with skating. This, this is the, the skating has done so much for me. And, you know, you look at me now, I'm 45. I'm, you know, could lose some weight. I'm not going to be doing any kickflips or anything. But, you know, I, it, I hold it so dear in my heart, not just because of the people that I met, you know, the things that I got to do, but even to this day, skating has just introduced me to so much amazing music that I don't know how it would have gotten to me otherwise. You know, that's, you know, I remember when I went off to UCF, uh, you know, I was hanging out with skaters there and I got into Revelation Records and ah, I just yeah. started, you know, buying all of it. It's like, I don't know if this is good or bad or whatever, but, you know, Gorilla Biscuits and Shelter and Youth of Today and all these things and just with Revelation, you were pretty much once you got like two records in, you like okay, it's not going to veer far from no, the style. So you knew what you were getting. It was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty, safe pretty much plus or minus. It's going to sound like this, yeah. and and then it then I, as you can tell by the wall behind me, have a collector's mentality where it's like yeah. okay, I need them all now. I need to have Snapcase, and I need to have all these other you know the far side and like the yep. the deeper cut Revelation records. Did the same with Discord. Did the same yes. with. You know, some of these other other companies where it's as much about the label as it is about the band. So um, you were mentioning kind of going to that other school, skating coming into your life. Did that kind of pull you out of solely the metal world or? Well, so, yeah. So I had um, when I met Rob Sexton and, uh, you know, we we were like, yeah, I listen to Metallica and we, we, we listen to a lot of the same bands. And then at that point, I am. Um, 88.5, which has been around all right. this time. Yeah. Uh, on Sundays, they they used to do like an alternative music show. I think it was like from one to four, one to three. You know, it was like a good – and, you know, they would play like new wave and dark wave stuff. But they, they would play some punk stuff. So, that's where I started hearing bands like Black Flag and Bad Brains. And I was like, man, it's not heavy metal, but it's there's, some, there's something here. Yeah. There's, and uh, so, you know, that was uh, – back then we had um, – was it Melody Records in Brandon? Okay. And they had all the underground stuff. That's right. where like all the Nasty Savage guys hung out. 
and the death and executioner kids. They that's that was their that hangout. was their place. So they would the guy I think Mark Mark was the guy's name from Melody Records. He would you know order all this stuff. So that's where I I started picking up on punk and metal bands, and that's where I met uh, this guy uh, Matt Odechuk. Okay, so, so he's kind of. Aside the from Chris Barrows, character. Aside from Chris Barrows from uh, the Pink Lincolns, he's probably the the oldest like Tampa punk guy, and I think he's got like fifty thousand records. Oh my god! He, <laughs> he he literally, you know, I met him there, uh, and then years later, you know, we had re- like reconnected. Oh yeah, I met you at Melody Records, and so Matt's apartment, Brandon, uh, even when he lived with his parents, him and his brother Mark. Uh, that was the hangout. Yeah. You just showed up there. So Matt had a distributor's license. So he could order records from companies like Blacklist and Mortem, dollar, dollar fifty a piece. So every day you, you show up at Matt's house, there's a he's pile, your pusher, pile, yeah. pile of new records. Yeah. And he's like, check this band out. You'll like this. It sounds like this. This guy, these are they're from Hungary. You'll like it. And it was just like music overload. Yeah. I, I discovered so many bands there, you know, and you're playing at this time too. So, at this time, so yes, are yeah. you? Are you, is that is that molding you, molding your sound, molding what you wanted to be? Or? Yeah, you know, I I think, um, like I said, when when Cyprioni first started, we were we were like pretty pretty blast beat, yeah, single hit hardcore like like early Agnostic Front record yeah. and stuff like that. And then I I think uh, the bands that kind of made us say, man, this is the this is the direction we want to go. Were bands like Dag Nasty, yeah. And uh, embrace yeah. and that like that kind of first wave of emo from DC, and and that's where we can. And I think ultimately, you know, when you're playing fast hardcore and stuff like that when you're young, it's because that's what you can play. Sure. And I think as you mature as a musician, I know a lot of people they they really shit on bands like oh they sold out. It's like you know maybe bands just don't want to put out the same record for 30 years yeah growth i mean if you're in the same place 30 years later you know kind of what's the point i mean there's some bands that you you expect that from and you you want it like i don't need to hear acdc doing prog rock right they just you know their new record i don't know if you've heard it it sounds like acdc from 1983 that's what i expect from them sure Uh, even bands like bad religion they could they could do suffer forever and i'll buy it and listen right they don't have to grow but you know, with most bands, you want to hear a change or some growth. Well, or we were talking off the air about Neurosis. Yes. Who's a good example of yeah. oh, there's- their first album versus their most recent album. Not the same band. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about Mastodon and some of these other people who. Mastodon's a prime example of, you know, when you talk to people like, oh, you dig Mastodon and they, they get that elitist. Oh, they haven't put anything out good since Remission. Yeah. It's like, man, if they were still putting out Remission to this day. You'd be bored with them. Well, 100%. Plus, if I, if I remember, if it wasn't uh, remission, it was the the Call of the Mastodon, whatever, where yeah. they basically admitted that they're not even singing lyrics. Or yeah, just yeah, yeah. Pretty much barking sounds into the <laughs> right. Record. But uh, in any event, so um, so slap of reality, like who who coins the band name? Who like when is it like really? So when I, you guys start playing live, like when's that start? Yeah. Happening? So so we had a song called. So I, I still remember the kid that. Uh, there was a skate, Brandon skate skateboard kid, Jim Strackey. Uh, he had made a comment uh, about some dude who was being an asshole. And he said, he just needs to get slapped back into reality. Yeah. And I remember Frank, like, I like that. So we had a song called Slapper Reality. Okay. And then th- we eventually moved that. Is Frank the- your same age, a little bit older? Where's Frank yeah. in the okay. – Frank is uh, – he's a few months older than me. You know what's blown my mind is I've, I've so gone so ass-backward into this world. So um, 
you know, so Chris Bryant is is married to my wife's cousin and we over time have developed music and if you listen to his show and you know i'm talking about he's sober now and he went through a dark period but we've got this great kind of you know synchronous synchronistic relationship where you know i'll buy the tickets he drives and i can have fun and we have fun together and all the other stuff but you know we start talking about bands are in and he'd always tell me about his history and brandon and how he first heard metal and what's funny about it is he was talking about you all these years and i never even knew yeah like it's so later i found out about it and then um my buddy uh Greg Thacker, he plays, he's a lead singer for Wolfface. And I was telling him oh, about yeah, yeah. how sometimes I'd go over to St. Pete's Plant Retro and you know, buy records in the Sky Rob over there. You know, he's kind of an interesting cat. He's cool, but he's kind of like, you know, crotchety and all this stuff. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, Yeah, he used to play, you know, he played drums and slap around. And I was like, Oh my God, okay. So then Chris identified who you were and greg identified who um uh, rob was and so recently i don't i think i you know when i'm on facebook i'm becoming friends with well this guy knows these six guys so i want to know that guy and some point i become friends with frank yeah on facebook and he posts this picture and i don't know if it was from like a weekly planet or a creative it was one of those weekend rags of him in a bucks jersey oh yeah, yeah, yeah and i remember as a kid that picture, reading that article, not even, and I wouldn't even have known what slap, you know, wouldn't yep. know that, wouldn't have known him, wouldn't know all this other stuff. And I was like, I've always known about these people in this weird way, but I've kind of like backed into it. So it's interesting to me how kind of you guys have been out there in this weird way. And only recently have I kind of connected the dots. You know, it, it's, it's funny because uh, like every music scene, there's peaks and valleys. You know, so like when we first started playing, the hardcore scene was pretty good here. You know, we were playing with the local bands that were like, you know, the bands that we looked. You up mentioned to. some of them, but give me, give you know, me like names. BP No Fraud. Okay, who I actually, I actually ended up playing in No Fraud from like uh, 2012 to like, you know, probably about a year ago. Yeah, I was in the band for like eight or nine years. But you mentioned Down by Law, and I swear to God, I went to St. Pete High with the guy who drummed in that band, Hunter. Hunter, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. So Hunter played in the band for years, and. Odd story. And that was an that. epitaph, which is another label, or at least some yeah. of their releases. You know what's funny about that is, is um, so my band Balance okay. that Keith Olry played in, uh, we were on tour in Europe, and uh, we had a night off, and Down by Law was playing. Okay, and uh, we'd already played with Down by Law in the states before that, um, but we um, we drove, we we took the van, and you know, here we are in a foreign country. The other band didn't go with us. We sure. just took the van. We drove to. Damn, I can't remember what city in Germany that was. But anyway, we ended up going to see Down by Law. And, you know, they were happy to see other Americans, really. Well, especially uh, after I've heard what German fans of music are like. Yeah. Like, supposedly they don't dance or anything. They just sit there and kind of judge you. Well, they're definitely they're definitely <laughs> more judge, reserved. Yeah. They'll definitely judge your your production. Yeah. Like, like oh, oh, I got your new record. Oh, cool. Thanks. I thought the hi-hats were too loud. Yeah. Well, all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Noted. Yeah. But so anyway, we, we end up driving and we go and, uh, you know, we go to see uh, Down Below and the, the the drummer, started, he's like, yeah, I live in Clearwater. We're like, oh, oh, shit. Yeah. And it's cool. So Dave Smalley, um, who ended up, he was sick that night. And he's like, you know, man, I, I'm not going to be able to sing all these songs. And we're like, dude, we'll sing some of them, the ones we know. So Keith and Frank and myself, oh, we all took turns singing songs for him. That's badass. Yeah, yeah. And so, does a recording of that exist per chance? Probably man, not. Man, you know, I'm, 
I'm guessing somebody in Germany might have it. Uh, oh, I would love to find that. That, that would be, be killer. Uh, but so when we end up getting home, uh, Hunter reaches out to Frank's like, hey, our guitar player uh, left. Do you know anybody? And that's how he – Sam Williams kind of got the end to, oh, wow. to down by law. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that, that, I mean, and I remember I was aware of that back in the day and that was the coolest thing in the world. And, you know, I kind of lost track of that band. And, you know, as I go to record stores and stuff, I see, Oh, they put out other stuff since yep. when I was aware of them. But I always remember one of their albums was on Epitaph and I just, you know, with, you mentioned bad religion and Pennywise and yep. some of these other bands. I was like, fucking a, I mean that you made it, you know? So um, the first, when, when do you guys start touring outside of Florida? When do you guys like, when does it really become like, okay, this is a thing we're doing? Yeah. So like, like I said, we, we started playing shows in like 88 and like we were playing with like bands like Pagan Faith, BP, uh, No Fraud, um, Corrupt Enforcement, all the, all these killer local bands, Jehovah's Sicknesses, yeah. <laughs> which actually, which actually featured John Stanier of Helmet. Oh wow, the drummer. Sure, from Helmet. He's in Battles now, and he's yep, Tomahawk yep. with Mike Patton, and yep. yeah, 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 yeah. So he was he was the drummer in Jehovah's Sicknesses. Oh they, wow, they were, they were killer. Um, so you know we play shows, and then you know we start playing shows around Florida. Uh, we we go down to Miami and play a lot. Uh, How was the Miami scene back then? It was humongous. Yeah, it was. Because uh, that's not a music scene. Like I don't know why I always equate hardcore to like dc and new york or you know yeah. i mean there's a good reason why but when you start getting into these hot tropical environments it's like you know i'm wondering how much of a scene can be there but obviously man no miami had a very huge scene they did their their big shows at the cameo theater okay and uh went down i saw youth of today there oh. dude, i saw oh, wow. dude, saw ray capo jump oh, over everybody oh man that, that show was so great uh, another local band opened for him awake okay uh and also check out this show that we we all drove. Tell me about our, shows. I'm a, I love show porn. Tell me about all the. This is a show. This is a good one. So this was like a five band bill. So it was reason to believe. Okay. Uh, which who ended up later on becoming Sensefield. Yeah. Uh, Bold. Oh yeah. Gorilla Biscuits and Uniform Choice. You played in the show, or you? No, went no. To this show? one, okay. which is okay. one too. Uh, oh wow! But the beauty of it was so reason to believe played, and I was really into them at the time. Uh, we ended up actually staying at the house with them uh, the night before the show. Uh, we knew the promoters that did all the shows at the cameo and a lot of the bands stayed there. So reasonably plays bold gorilla biscuits, all killer. And then uniform choice still hasn't made it to the venue. So everybody's like, what's going on here? So reasonably sets up, plays another set and about halfway into that set uniform choice arrives and they just destroyed. It. Oh, wow. What year would that have been? That was probably ninety or ninety one. I'm oh, guessing. right in the right in the peak of it. Yeah, yeah, because it, it was right after that uh, staring into the sun. Right yeah, yeah, out, which a lot of people didn't like. Yeah, another band that kind of changed a little bit. People, but that's a great record. So, uh, be, you know, moving ahead, you mentioned some other bands that you played in, but I mean, would you consider that Slap of Reality is always home base? Yeah, you know, it's one of those bands, and uh, I think me and me and Rob Sexton had this conversation not too long ago. It's like I don't know that we'll ever break up. Yeah, we, we've had periods of inactivity. Yeah, we, but we've never actually said to each other, "We're done." It'll just be like you know, we've had differences before. Uh, after our second tour, um, you know, uh, some of the guys wanted to go right back out on tour, which. From a band standpoint, looking back on it, made the most sense. 
But I had just had a kid. You have kids. I know Rob's got I mean, I, Yeah. But at this point, I was the only one that had a kid. Yeah. And my kid was like, I left when my kid was like a month old. Yeah. We go on a two-month tour. I come back. I didn't even recognize the kid. And they wanted to go right back out. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I can't, you know. And that, I think that kind of caused a little, I wouldn't say a rift, but so Frank and I, you know, we talked, we weren't ready to go back out. Uh, and so they, they, they kept the band going for a little bit with a different singer. Uh, and you know, that didn't, they put out a seven inch or something sure. like that. And then, so years went by, uh, Frank and I had formed balance and yeah. another band. And then, uh, and then one day it was kind of weird. We started getting like letters. This is kind of when the majors were like snatching up bands. Trying to get, yeah. So we got like a, couple letters from like a metal blade oh wow uh which is kind of weird you think of them as a metal label but they they had released that first goo goo dolls right not the first goo goo dolls record uh hold me up which is an amazing record yeah people don't you know you think of the goo goo dolls Dolls, late late stage goo goo dolls Uh, so they were the go back and listen to hold me up and tell me that record doesn't smash yeah uh but they reached out to us like hollywood records all these like subsidiaries and majors and so I, i think rob got the letter and reached out to us when we're like, Hey, let's get back together. Sure. So we, we, that's when like we, we got Dave in the band and, uh, Brian Roberts, you know, he plays in Pogo and all that now. Right. Uh, he was speaking of Pogo. You got to tell me the Keith Olray, the the meeting Keith. Oh yeah. 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 So, so then (laughs) we reformed, you know, and then we, we went really good for a few years. And then we, uh, we actually, at one point, um, we would sign to, uh, skiing records who, at that time, we were label mates with Green Day, Jawbreaker. Wow. Because they were all on Skeen. Yeah. Uh, Shades Apart. Right. Uh, shout out to Shades Apart. Um, and then we actually moved up to New York City. Well, like right outside because we wanted to, you know, like we played a showcase up there. And then we were like, man, we, we're Did not. Did you move your families up there too? Or? Yeah, dude. We, we, we fully oh, wow. committed, man. Uh, what year was this? That was like 95, 96. Oh, wow. So we moved up there because we wanted to, you know, play shows, uh, play these shows. And it was just a much better. Where were you living up there? I lived in Clifton, New Jersey. Oh, so you didn't. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't living in the city. I had kids. Right, right, right. And how long were you up there for? A year. And how was that? It was awesome and shitty at the same time. It's like um, we never accomplished what we wanted to. It was we didn't get together enough. We did. It's like to live up there. Everybody had to work. Right. Our bass player at the time uh, was John Ramos from the first – he played on the, the Three Less LP. He was already living in New York. So we told him, we come up, you rejoin the band. Yeah, he was in. So he would have to come from the city to Jersey. And we'd have to go pick him up and we rent a rehearsal space. and A lot of obstacles in it was just a, It was a lot of obstacles. And after about a year of it, a few of us were like, I'm going back home. Right. It just sucks. So at what point do you get into the professional world that you're in today? I mean, was, were you doing that all along or does that come no, later? No. So like, uh, so about, I got, I came back, I think in 96 from New York and I, I was doing like some, some menial office work. And, uh, I then went and got like an IT certification cause I've always been kind of a tech nerd. Sure. And literally like when I, the day I got my certification, I made my first resume I post it and this company calls me and I end up working there for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Now you have more than one kid or? 
Yes, I have two adult kids. Okay. So I know your son. In fact, I was messaging with your son. I think he's going to come <laughs> on the podcast. Now. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's funny how quickly this happened. So Elliot is right next door. You know, I was talking to him and he's like, yeah, I really like their other band, The Path. He's like, I think, I, and I think that's his son that's in the band. It's Joey Kai, you know. Yeah. And so I started listening to that today. I was like, holy shit. Cause I mean, I love slap, but I mean, The Path's more up my alley of kind of where I, and well, normally listening well, to music. Well, like, like I said, I grew up on metal and I've always sure. listened to heavy stuff. It's my my nickname in the even in the like the old Brandon Punk scene was Joe Metal Mom. Yeah. I had long hair. I listened to metal. So, you know, uh So um tell me about that band a little bit. When did that start? I mean, it's relatively new, right? Yeah, in the yeah, past the last ten years. Few, past few years. We started in like twenty eighteen, I think. And uh it, it started uh, you know, because the kid, you know, I, I mean, it's in his DNA. He's, but that's he's awesome. I mean, you're, it's this kind of story that repeats itself. Yeah, you know, and uh, he's always been, I, you know, not to brag, but he's always been exposed to good music, right? You know, at least I think what I think I listen to is good. So, you know, growing up, you know, he 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 loves a lot of the same bands, and uh, you know, he would always be sitting around the house like playing Neurosis songs on his. Guitar oh my god! And, and then I I got to I was like, hey, that's cool, man. You're, you're getting really good. Said, but you got to start writing your own stuff. Yeah, I was like, if you just sit around learning everybody's stuff, and it took him a while. He was, and he's like, I don't know how to write. I'm like, trust me, listen to the bands you like. Don't don't steal their stuff. Yeah, just give you. And then he started writing all these killer riffs. Right, and I'm like, dude, we should do a band. And then that was it. He, and then uh. And now you're a full four piece or three yep, piece? Four piece. Okay. Yep, full four now piece. you mentioned the, the drum, and if this is not okay to talk about, no, let me no, know, yeah, but absolutely. The, the, now the drummer play it was from who? He plays in Old Vices. Okay. And he played in the Dukes of Hillsborough. Okay. Uh, Phil Stanwick. He's been around Tampa, seen a long time. Sure. It's so funny because he, he's another one of those guys that we know all the same people. There's such a there's such a fabric, and I. It's a, the, the the thing that's funny is I'm the only one who's listened to every one of these podcasts because obviously I'm the one who's done it. So I worry that people are getting sick here and maybe someone's heard one or two of them, but I talk about this so much, but the the greatest gift that this podcast has given me is uh, uh, an appreciation for local music. I always was a big into music, but it was always national music, it was right. DC, New York, hardcore metal, whatever the stuff, but very little of them except for the death metal stuff was in my backyard. Right. So it wasn't ever something that I really knew how to get into. But as I've gone through this and talked to Tom to Georgia crowbar and, you know, Sean Kyle, who's been in a bunch of the bands around here and, and Keith and Rob and all these yeah. people, you just start to see what a deep, rich history this area has, and it's amazing to me that it's not a bigger music town than it than it's become. Yeah, I mean, outside of the death metal realm, yeah, it's, it's, it's so funny. Because but it should be like an Austin, or you know, it, it really should be. I think I think that there's a few things that kind of hampers uh, Tampa location, right? Right. We're 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 really isolated from the rest of the country. Sure. So we've got an our isolated scene, right? Which is you know, been pretty awesome for the metal bands and stuff. But outside of that, you know, you, you weren't really getting much attention. Um, the other thing I think too is uh, Tampa had a history of like violence. Yeah. Like bands wouldn't come here. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you've listened to the, like the black flag tour stories, when Rollins talks about getting beat up at the Cuban club by skinheads. And then, you know, he's telling all these other bands don't go to Tampa. Right. So a lot of bands really just started skirting around Tampa at that time. So, you know, every once in a while we would have to drive to Gainesville to see a band. They would sneak into there, and 
And I, I, bands are even doing that to this day, but I think it's a different reason. I think it's just the coming to Florida, unless you're a huge band, isn't really profitable. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And I, and I think it was who explained that to me was Tom DeGeorge. And he was talking to me about with the shutdowns with COVID, what, you know, you shut down enough venues and it doesn't become a viable spot for national acts to come yeah. to. And once national acts stop coming there and the smaller shops have closed up, yeah. you, you know, that's hard to come back from. And that was, I mean, even still is a very real fear. I think kind of with the Save Our Stages Act and Neva yeah. and a lot of the stuff that Tom's done is kind of, you know, and other people have done are seem to have kind of pulled through. But uh, it's 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 true, you know. Geographically speaking, we're not ide- we're not in the yeah in the way of the travel path. Yeah, especially for a small band like bands that tour in a van or something. Yeah. you know, it's like to drive to Tampa, then From, to Miami, yeah. and then all the way back up to Gainesville or Orlando. It's like those are long commutes. Where like if you're in the Northeast, you, you can, can hit, hit twenty places with five major cities, yeah, right? You yeah. know, easily. So I always think about the comedians. I always I used to listen to stories like Louis C.K. and these people up yeah. in New York, and literally they would do a spot, get in a cab, get in a cab, or drive. Well, Louis would ride his motorcycle until yep. he got shredded, but and hit like eight clubs in a night, just back for boom, 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 boom. So obviously that's a big a big difference between Florida. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about the path in a minute, but I also want to talk to you about another shared interest that we have, which yeah. I didn't even know. I think until I asked you to come on the show, I assume you probably looked on Facebook and saw because I started training again recently. Yeah. said, oh, you do jujitsu. So I wanted to talk to you about that. Now, as I understand it, you're kind of dipping your toe in the water was with judo. Yes. Which is a lot more, you don't find as many of those people around. I mean, you know, there's now there's a BJJ school every five blocks. You know, it's funny is if you go anywhere outside of the United States, it's the exact opposite. I'm sure. There's a judo dojo on every corner. which Which one is in the Olympics? Right, you know, judo. So, even in Brazil. Yeah. Oh, really? No, judo is way bigger than BJJ in Brazil. I wonder why it's flipped here. It, I, I just think that it, I think the UFC has a lot to do with it, right. the popularity of that. And, uh, but, um, yeah, yeah. So I started with judo and it, it was really, were I, you a martial artist as a younger kid? Was it I something dabbled, that interests you? Like, a, what, 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 how did you get the, the bite? The, so I was always into martial arts, um, and there was a, there was a short period of time where a lot of the Brandon kids uh, we were doing like some Okinawan Okinawan karate, yeah. And we, you know, for a few months we all were doing that, and uh, and then so you know, but always a big fan of the movies and stuff like that. And then um, later on in life, man, I didn't even start training because you started later, like thirty six. Um, I was playing soccer, okay, in this league, and one of the kids on my soccer team's like. Uh, I was like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? He's like, oh, I'm doing this judo class. I'm like, judo class? He's like, you should come do it. I'm like, okay. So I went and did it and fell in love. He ended up not doing it. Right. He did it like once or twice and never came back. And I stayed at that school all the way to my brown belt. And then um, – Are the belts pretty much the same as jiu-jitsu? They, they are, but the difference is – and I don't think that jiu-jitsu people understand this. When you're a black belt in judo – you're that's about the equivalent of maybe a purple belt in jujitsu because okay. they the, the the black belts are not equal. When you get to about third degree black belt in judo, that's like a black belt sure. in jujitsu. So um 
But yeah, so the, the color progression cut, is the same. Yeah, all the every white, blue, art, purple, brown, black. Every martial art that uses a belt system got it from judo. Okay. And when judo started, there was only two belts: white and black. You were a white belt until you were a black belt. Right. The the I, the thought That's was you had a white belt I, until it gets dirty enough and turned black. Well, for sure, yeah. And I've you know it's it's funny. I I at times in my training of jujitsu wondered what th- that world would be like if you removed belts from it. And obviously with no gi, yeah, it kind of did that. Yeah. You know, but um, it, very interesting. So you started training judo, and um, where where did you start at? So there was this. They did this. It was like a church, and you know, I. I'm not even a, I'm like I'm an I'm an atheist, but sure. my friend invited me to it, and you know uh, we trained there for a few years, and uh, just one day, and I don't know if it's because we weren't part of the church, we just got an email. It's like uh, you guys aren't welcome back. I'm like, okay, <laughs> so uh, that's when I met uh, my friend David Roman, uh, Judo Chop Suey podcast. Check it out. Uh, he had he had brought his instructor that he had. To that to my school once this guy Dave Middendorf who who had come down from uh, Boston and it like, turns hey, out I know as well turns yeah. out that you have a connection with Dave yeah. that which is awesome uh, rest in peace Dave yeah I was sorry to hear that I, I wasn't aware of that till you told me yeah I think uh, three years ago now um, but we uh, we started training at his school and like both of his his daughter yeah his daughter was a high level black belt she was like on the national team like at the same time like Ronda Rousey was coming right and uh, his son's a black belt so I'm training with all these killers now. And my wife and my son are at the time were training as well. And man, we just, it was like a level up the, the, well, to go from a club person who's just teaching you to somebody who trained with Jimmy Pedro, the level you go. It's, it's funny because I experienced this and it's hard for people to understand who haven't done it. You know, first off people who haven't trained martial arts, you know, they don't get the differences between karate and yeah, Taekwondo. Right. So, you know, one of the things that I, when I, people are interested enough to listen and I don't want to bore them is, you know, these types of sports that we're talking about, judo, jujitsu is you can't fake it. You can't get, you know, you can't pay for a promotion and, and have it stick, you know. Not only that, uh, to me, and, you know, I'm not you know trying to shit on traditional martial arts there's merit with traditional martial arts but there's, there's a sure, difference sure but when i you see a eight-year-old kid wearing a black belt yeah that just sends the wrong message sure it's it's a because to be honest with you if you take a eight-year-old kid and give him three weeks of jujitsu or judo he's going to smoke that kid yeah yeah and that's just the truth so it, it's like a a false security this kid oh i'm a black belt it's like so you can well, one time. is more. I would say one is more a, a style like a ballet type of thing, and the other one is more practical or pragmatic right. in its re, its result oriented. Right. You know, you know if you're better than this guy because either you tapped him out or he tapped you out or you submitted him or you threw him or whatever. Yeah. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. There isn't you know any way around it. But then the other part about it is how deep you get into that world, especially early on, you know, having kids, as I mentioned to you, kind of pulled me out of it. But that first three, four, five years that I was trained, it's literally, those are the people you spend every minute with that you're not at work, you you know, and you want to go to class more. And on the weekends, you're going and watching fights and you're watching on YouTube videos. And yep. you, I mean, it's literally, it, it becomes like a cult. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but no, it's, it, it should, certainly is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, but, but, it, 
it sounds like I'm criticizing him not. In fact, that's one of the things that I loved about it. I mean, I made so many good friends that even to this day, I don't train. There's still like such, such asked about you or how you're doing. And, you know, just like you got to with your band kind of live life with these people, you know, you and yeah. Rob had kids and, for, you know, you guys have all had families and gone through life and, you know, with jujitsu going through life with these people. But the other thing that I was talking to you about, and I wanted to kind of bring it back to music is, you're, where you started out at and where you are now, how you view it, both with music and with martial arts. Because when I started, I was 32 in martial arts, and now I'm going back to it at 45. Yeah, and yeah. it's a different thing entirely. And so I wanted to ask you about that and then also go back to music. You, you as a 20-year-old versus you as a 50-year-old in the music world. Yeah, you know, so – uh, with martial arts, you know, starting late in life, and then you know, like like you said, I was I was training like three times a week, and then when there was tournaments, it was more than that. You sure. Know? So, and I was still playing soccer at the time, so man, I was like in great shape. How many knee surgeries, <laughs> ankle surgeries? Fortunately, fortunately none. none. Yeah. Uh, but I, I've a few minor injuries over the, all this time. Really, uh, I know a lot of people are they see judo and you're like, you know, you're like jujitsu guys are. Oh, fuck them, it. I they're scared it. of it. Oh, I hate stand-up night. They're scared of it. Hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, but it's really uh it's really safe, especially when you the the thing that sucks, the, the hard part to getting people to come back to judo class. So like the judo class that I teach over at Ybor City Jiu Jitsu Club, it's not a traditional if you're looking to like compete in Olympic judo, I, I am not the person to come to. If you're looking to improve your takedowns for jujitsu tournaments. That's what we're working on. Right. So, but the first thing that I, you have to learn and you know, it's, it, it kind of sucks for you is how to fall. Oh, for sure. Because once yeah. you learn and you're not scared to get thrown, then you're not scared to attack, but, and you won't get hurt. Right. When you're stiff and you're scared and you're trying to stick your arm out, that's when you're going to get hurt. So this is what it does for you too. And I, you know, I being a bigger person, I always feel weird in crowds. I always feel weird. The only time I did don't feel strangely is at concerts. Yeah. And it's because everybody's kind of fixated on something. Right. But if I'm in a restaurant or I'm at a club or I'm at a whatever and I always feel like I'm in people's way and they're bumping into me. And I, I, before I started training jujitsu, I had a lot of difficulty owning my space, like feeling like I had a right to be there. And as I started training and, you know, I boxed a little bit before that and you, you get used to getting punched in the face. You get used to getting your shoulder tweaked. You get, you know, I've been choked unconscious. I've been thrown on the ground. And, you know, as these things happen, you say, Hey, you know, I, I didn't die. I right. didn't break. You know, I'm a, I'm stronger than I expected that I was. It, that materialized in my worldview and my my inner react my inner you know my relationships with people physically you know I felt more and I, I didn't become this brute or this asshole but I just I was like okay I'm not scared to be here I'm not nervous about people you know I, you just kind of own your space a little bit more which is such a I think healthy thing that a lot of people don't have yeah you know you kind of hit on something there too about being a brute you know I think people think when you you tell them oh you train martial arts that oh man you guys are bunch gotta of be a bonehead yeah. it's like man most some of the nicest kindest people I've ever met 
our jujitsu and judo people, you know, and most unassuming. Right. Like the guys that'll really strangle you if they wanted to, or, you know, snap a, a leg or heel hook or are the guys that you would never expect by looking at them. Sure. You know, but, but. Unless they're nice enough to have cauliflower ear and then you can. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm when you see, you <laughs> no, no, no to normies out there. When you see a guy's ear that looks like it's been pit through a meat grinder. Just I'll, leave, just leave be alone. nice Start to that Walk, guy. walk away. Walk away. So, uh, so then getting from judo into the jujitsu, how did that transition happen? So uh, when I started trading with Dave Middendorf, um, he was big on Nawaza or ground fighting. Okay. And we would even do sessions at his house, no gi, you know, judo people never train without the gi, right. which, which to me is a big disadvantage. I actually, um, up before COVID, I had a no gi judo class. Wow. Because to me, if you compete in no gi, you want to have take. You're not going to have a collar to grip. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you got to yeah. learn collar ties and arm drags and how to throw from them, right? Yeah. So, uh, but uh, training with those guys, man, there were, you know, I would we would go over in his garage in the summer, man, and it, you know, 100 degrees out, and we're just in there rolling, and you know, Dave tough was dude, big guy. Well, so he was who I always got paired with because because you're the big because I'm the big guy, and so I'm you know no background at all, and he's my partner that I'm rolling with, and. You know, I, we talked a little bit off. I mean, he even when he went soft, he went hard, and and yeah. you know, if he was a, he was a tough dude. It's a, it's a, he uh, was a really tough guy, man. Uh, as a matter of fact, before he moved down here, and this is pre UFC, they used to have those NHB no holds bars yeah. matches. So he fought Jason Delucia, who was in the first UFC, and yeah. Hoist Gracie. Oh wow! As a matter of fact, uh, I think Hoist Gracie choked him out, and uh, that was. That's, That's what, what got him into yeah, ground yes, fighting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, we used to train a lot of ground fighting. And in judo, I was always uh, – I would say I always leaned more towards the, the submissions. So, my transition to jiu-jitsu, which to me, they're, they're the, the exact same, same thing, moment, right? Yeah. right? It's just the rule sets is what makes them different. Right. The sport of jiu-jitsu and sport of judo. But the actual martial art, it's all judo. Now – so who did you, who did you start training under? Were you under Dave all time, or did you go out? And so kinda- under judo, yeah, I trained under Dave. That uh, once yeah. I started training with him, and uh, you know we had bounced around. We were we were basically renting space at jujitsu schools, right? Yeah, and then uh, so eventually uh, we were training at this place in Claremel, oddly enough. Oh wow, which was special to me. It was a, a an, an old building that I used to go into. Uh, Jerry Norton, uh, who's a black belt. Uh, had opened up a school there. And so we were doing judo there. And then on Saturdays, they would kind of do like an open mat. So we were doing like our no-gi judo back then. And then um, I met Joey Best, who's the instructor at Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu, and rolled with him a few times. And uh, well, I learned- Never looked back, yeah. I learned what the different levels of ground sure. fighting were. Here's this guy that, you know, I'm not a big guy, but I'm bigger than him. And man, he could just do whatever he wanted. Yeah, that was that was what the, always what's funny is, is is you know, not that I'm the biggest guy, but who I chose to start jujitsu with, with Hobson. Oh, yeah, you know, small guy. but Small, but so I remember good. the first night my wife, I would tell the story of the first night my wife came to watch a class and he was rolling with me and I was turtled up and, you know, he's 150 pounds soaking wet, but he can feel like five times that on top of you. And I, you know, I was, you, you know, the experience of rolling when you're a lower belt with a black belt, oh, yeah. you're just like, there's nothing I can do. Cause I know 
I, I just give up before I've even started, but he, he's three moves ahead of you. If, if at least three moves. And so he pops up and I don't feel anything. And then all of a sudden I feel this intense pressure in the middle of my back. And later came to find out he like jumped up and was like surfing on me. Yeah. <laughs> when my wife right. was watching. I was like, I was like, okay, okay. I understand. I understand his school. I'm at. I mean, he's got no ego at all, but no, you know, no, no. It was, I, I, but what's interesting for me is with training with him is, he can do all this shit with his body, not just because he's in amazing shape, but because of how compact and small he is. And so in my training with jujitsu, I was learning kind of a smaller guy jujitsu as a bigger guy. Which is the was- way you want to learn, right? So we're, it's so funny that Tampa, we're so fortunate. We have two. So many amazing people here. But really, we have two of the all-time greatest competitors in Hobson Mora and uh, Marcio Cruz. Yeah. different Now, Marcio is like six foot. Four to fifty, you know, even yeah. heavyweight. Yeah. So I I train there a little bit with him. I have some friends that that still train under him, and you know, learning jujitsu from him is awesome. But it doesn't benefit me like from body style. Like, sure, he can throw triangles up from anywhere. Well, because his legs are as long as my yeah, body. Right. Uh, but like training with someone like Hobson, even as a big guy, you're going to learn technique because. You know, Hobson is never he's he's had to have technique his whole life. Right. He's smaller. And, and, and obviously it's worked and, and multiple time world champion, him and Marcio both. Right. right. Yeah. So, uh, today, uh, obviously you're working full time at this company. It's not the same one that you did 10 years with. No, no, no. But you're in that world still. Yeah. So I work, yeah, I still work in the pro- IT project management. And, realm. uh, as I understand it, you're recording with the path right yep. now. You've got, you got, I don't want to say the band back together. You got the band together as it were with these two, two, two guys yep. coming on. Yep. And it, what's Slap doing? I've in the past two, three years, you guys have put out at least one or two singles. Yeah. We, we, we've been steadfastly working on an LP to put out, um, which, uh, we're, we're pretty much almost done with that. And we, we have a few like, uh, comps like that doldrums cover I was telling you about. And, uh, we're going to rerecord a, a, a classic track as well, uh, from our first seven inch, and uh, release that for some comp. So we're, we're working on stuff as well. And who are, you know, we were nerding out a little bit before I was listening to the path. I was like, God, I can hear crowbar. And then we're talking about Paul bear. So who are some of, who are some of the people that you're into today? Man, well, Paul Bear for sure. Uh, that Heartless record, I that one caught. So that one, and I forget the name of the Elder record, but they came out right at about the same time. And I had those two on rotation. But the the singing and Paul Bear over that Doom, yeah, just worked for me because because you know Doom had kind of either you got like a droning voice or a Cookie Monster voice or whatever yep. the case was, and this was like like Dio singing yeah, over no. you know Doom metal, and I was digging it. Yeah, no, the vocals of Paul Bear are great, and like Chemist as well. Yeah, has great vocals. Uh, I love their stuff. We talked about our shared love for Neurosis. Neurosis, in terms of like heavy bands, I, I it 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 almost be a crime to call them a metal band. I mean, they they're almost they, like a prog. They're like prog core. They're their yeah, own yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. And uh, and it's funny because a lot of bands get like, oh, they're an ISIS clone, or it's like. Or I'm sorry, Neurosis clone. Like yeah. ISIS has yeah. had that title. But bands have similarities to Neurosis, but nobody does what they do. Well, I mean, they have like a member of their band who's like visuals. I yeah. Mean, you know, yeah. and then they have the keyboard. The keyboard and they, that does the samples. Yeah. And, and you know, they're, 
they just they experiment. They they've added like a folk element to their stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, Scott Kelly is such an interesting character, and it's yeah. funny you look at him now and he looks like an old truck driver. Yeah. But when you saw him in the beginning, I mean, he looked like at you almost. Yeah, yeah. You know, this hardcore warrior. You know, and yeah, I mean, their first couple of records were hardcore classics, man. Like, they were Bay Area, right? Like, yeah, yeah, they're from Oakland, yeah. San Francisco. So, like, yeah, their first records, like a uh, Word Is Law and uh, Pain of Mind, were hardcore albums, right? And then. They came out with Souls of Zero, and it was like, hmm, that's a going big a different, departure. Yeah. And then, like, I would say when uh, through Silver and Blood was the one that was like, okay, these guys they found where they yeah they, it's they're clicked. Going. It's clicked, yeah. And to me, they're a band that each release, uh, it's in the same vein, but they're they're never repeating themselves. They're always doing something a little different. Like I, I feel like that last record, Fire Is the Endless, and it might be their best thing. But where where are they at? Like. I mean, they haven't broken up. No, no, just, no, no, yeah. no. They're they're still together. They they're just one of those bands that um they uh they all have like families, and right? Jobs like well, Steve Von Till's a teacher. He's right? a teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Can you imagine? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My science teacher. That's why they usually tour in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're you know they they do a lot of European touring. So me and my son, he loves neurosis as well. Uh, you know, whenever they announce any U.S. dates, they never come here. I think the last time they played here was. 99 on the Times of Grace tour at State Theater. And I was just so blown away at that show. Wow. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to talk about there. Who opened for them? Do you remember? I don't remember. Um, that, man, I, I, I should look that up because I I, 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 I wish, I, I hope somewhere you've got a journal or a photo album or a, I've got some things. Yeah. yeah. I've, got, I've got some things. But, uh, but so every time they announce US tour dates, we're like, okay, where are we flying to see them? Well, Dinosaur Jr. just announced yeah. today. And I was like, oh, yeah, you said you're going to Atlanta. Yeah, I'm going to go to the Atlanta show. I, I, I texted my wife who, she she likes music, but she's not into all the stuff that I'm into. And I was like, "Which city do you want to visit? I'll I'll I'll, I'll buy tickets." And I mean, I'd love to see him in Boston because obviously yeah, Jay Mask has got the there, yeah. history there. But then there's Seattle and there's Oregon, you know, Portland, and Austin, Austin's another cool place. Yeah, and so I, I was like, I can work work because I was supposed to go see them the last time that they were here over in St. Pete. Uh, yeah, I went to that show and. Uh, my daughter, I couldn't get her to sleep, and it was just you know, I had brand new kid, and it just devolved from there. But funny old school story. So, uh, like a lot of these old punk bands, like when I first started, like our first show was at this place uh, on Fletcher near Fletcher and Fifteenth, that little suitcase city, yeah, yeah. sketchy area yeah, yeah. where the old brass mug used to be. But a caddy corner from that across the street was a club called the Sunset Club, and I mean, local shows would be like Death, Obituary. Yeah. Nasty Savage, Morbid Angel. But um, a lot of the punk shows happened there as well. So I saw like uh, uh, all there. So this is what I want to ask you about. I want to the, the especially local shows because yeah. people come in and I've heard like uh, – it was like – I think it was like Black Flag at the Cuban Club. Yeah. It was Iggy Pop at Tampa Theater. It yep. was uh, – I think Red Hot Chili Peppers were at the Hub or something like that. So Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So uh, another funny story. So Slap Rowdy, we played uh, – our first show was at the Sunset Club there. And uh, I was probably we played most of our shows back in those days. But we ended up playing with a band, uh, a little hardcore band called Fang. Okay. Who are still around. Yeah. I actually played with them with No Fraud a few years ago. Uh, we did a, like a Florida tour with sure. them. Uh, but the funny story is we played that show with Fang and then uh, – like a few nights later, watching America's Most Wanted, oh, and no. the singer <laughs> is featured. Oh, He's my on God. the run for murder. Oh my God! He had murdered his girlfriend. Oh, geez. and so he got caught. He did time, and 
then they end up he got out like I don't know ten years later. I saw him at the State Theater. Really? He, yeah, yeah. Wow. And actually, when I saw him at the State Theater, Jim Martin from Faith No More was on. Oh the tour. yeah. Wow. He filled in on that tour. Wow. So it was kind of a. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy history. But there's been great shows in Florida, and you know, just they don't make them down here too often. But when they do, it... yeah, man, there's so many. Like there was a club, like probably walking distance from your office here. It, it, it was short lived. It was called the Paint Factory. Uh-huh. But uh, Green Day played there. Sam I Am, uh, Fuel, not the big rock band yeah. Fuel, but the the East Coast band. Sure, Quicksand played there. Oh, I love Quicksand. Yeah, Walter Trifles. Yeah, Walter. That's back when Walter only sang. Right. He didn't even play guitar at that Have time. you listened to his Rival Schools and yeah, some of that I, other stuff? Yeah, I thought Rival Schools was good. Um, He's got like a folky thing going on now. Yeah, um, I've heard that stuff too. Uh, I thought that last Quicksand record was uh, interesting. I, yeah. It didn't really grab me. Well, yet. didn't half the band go to Deftones or at least the bass player went bass to Deftones? Bass player, yeah. but, but he's still in Quicksand. Oh, is he? Was but he? The problem is, is they, they, it, there's only one guitarist now. Yeah. So I saw him live actually right. as that three piece and it, it just, just didn't click it, for you. It missed. Let it, me ask you this question. What's your feeling on the Deftones? This is a divisive. So I'm going to be 100% honest. The Deftones are one of those bands that missed me all these years. Right. So when that Palms, I don't know if you're familiar with the band Palms. Yes. So Palms is ISIS, the, the whole band minus Aaron Turner with Chino. Right. And I really dug that record. So when this newest Deftones record came out, I was like, I'm going to listen to Deftones. I think that Ohm's record is fucking amazing. Yeah, me too. It's so good. Yeah. But it's funny. I had this conversation with with music people yeah. and no one's moderate about it. Everybody's got to either really like them or really hate them. I think, I think the problem is, is they kind of got that new metal. New metal. Well, so Greg, Greg, he's like, do they have a DJ? How many how many strings does a bass player have? There's <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. these like threshold yeah, questions. Before before you doesn't open. matter what it sounds like. If you have five strings on your bass, seven strings on your guitar, or a DJ, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. not working for me. I understand, but I think because they kind of got lumped into bands like Limp Biscuit, Corn, and all and that, corn, yeah, for so, sure. So you just like, oh, I don't want to check that out. But, but there, but it's funny to me, and this may be heresy, but I I compare in my mind at least Deftones a lot to. To neurosis as far as who they were when they started and who they became. And yeah, kind just of the transformation. The transformation yeah, 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 and sense. kind of finding their own sound. Well, Joe, I can't thank you enough for coming by. Uh, this has been amazing. I loved – I probably could talk to you at length about any number of things that we touched on today. You think about it, we'll do a part two. Oh, for, for sure. Thank you so much for coming by. It was really nice finally meeting you in person. I love – slap reality i love the path hopefully i'll get to come and do some takedowns and some throws with you and absolutely all right we're right around the corner i I know i can't wait thanks thank you thank you